What does God's law do to us? Our text this morning is Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning that you'd open our ears, open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts to see and to understand your word and to do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We were driving up a dark winding road late one night when a dark shadow appeared on the road. It was a kid riding a skateboard wearing all black clothing. That's a good way to get anyone killed. Another sure way that kills anyone and everyone is to try to live up to the perfect demands of God's law through our own efforts. Because without the grace of God, the law slays us all. The law slays us all. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Romans chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 7. Romans 7, 7. Continuing along from where we were last week, the Apostle Paul says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Now, picking up on where he left off last week, we see in verse 6 to give us a context. Here he says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not of the old way of the written code. So the question that might arise, is the law bad? If the law slays us, as it were, if the law makes us captives, as it were, is there a problem with the law? And since the Christian is freed from the law, was it bad? Now Paul here says, I. Notice how he says, I here. He says, I would not have known. He said, if the law had not come, I would not have known sin. The I here stands for every Israelite who would not have understood the specifics of sin apart from the law. The law comes and shows sin, and the law also arouses sin, not because there's something wrong with the law, but because there's something wrong with us as sinners. Going on to verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. Now, friends, we are filled with sin, but sinners are blissfully unaware and are dead to righteousness. Before we are brought to Christ, before the Spirit brings us alive, we're dead to righteousness. And I want to say this, never underestimate the ignorance of sin apart from the law. You're going to see that more in our land as time goes forward. As we become more post-Christian in our land, there's going to be less ways for us to understand each other as Christians and non-Christians. And this was brought to me one time when I was in Japan, and I had a friend, and we discussed the idea of adultery. In Japan, they have these travel agencies that arrange for golf tours, normally to places like Thailand. They're actually for prostitution. Men will go there for a week, and they'll engage with prostitutes, but it's listed as a golf vacation. Everybody knows what it really is. Even the man's spouse knows what he's doing, but everybody acts like it's normal. And I remember arguing with my friend. I said, this is wrong. You're married to this woman. You've made a covenant to be married and faithful to this woman, and yet the man would go off and engage in all kinds of wicked, adulterous acts. He couldn't wrap his mind around it. He didn't think there was anything wrong with it. So never underestimate the ignorance of sin apart from God's law. 
going on to verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. Now, Newt, uh, N.T. Wright here sees an allusion to Adam and a repeating cycle of the same with the nation of Israel. Think about this for a minute. Adam was alive, but when the commandment came, twisted through the serpent, sin seized him and killed him. Here he is in the garden, perfect and innocent, without sin. God says you can do anything here in this garden. Eat of all these trees, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes and tempts him. And that one thing that he was not supposed to do, he suddenly desires. His eyes are open. Must have it. Beautiful tree. My eyes will be open. I will be like God. And it killed him. Israel was alive and in blissful ignorance. But when the commandment came, sin seized them and killed them. And you see this complaint with them. They want to go back to ignorance. They're brought out of slavery in Egypt. They were abused there. And yet they want to go back because there's garlic there. We had plenty of food to eat. The law comes to them and shows them their sin. And over and over again you see this pattern of Israel in the wilderness and beyond that in the land. God says, don't do this thing, and they want to do it. They desire to do it. The commandment becomes a provocation for the desire to sin, just as the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil provoked desire and sin in Adam. Now, we're not going to get into whether Adam was deceived or not or whatever that means in 1 Timothy. That's for another day. Going on to verse 12. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Sin brings death. The more the light of the law is shined, the more sin is revealed. Now, it's not as though sin suddenly sprouted up. It was there all along. How many times do we have this problem where we think that we're not engaging in some sin or somebody brings to light or you read the word of God and suddenly you see this thing that you were doing, this thing that you were thinking, this thing that you weren't mindful of is actually sinful. God's light shines there and the sin was there all along. Going on to verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Now again, N.T. right here says Paul is speaking as an archetypical Jew. They have the law, But the law's power is in its revealing of who we really are. The law comes and shows who we really are, sinners and lawbreakers. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil 
I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, friends, I don't want to get into a big old argument here of hypotheticals and what Paul's talking about here in this particular case. I think he's talking about himself at this point in time. The weakness confessed by Paul here might disturb somebody. Can you imagine? You're talking to the great apostle Paul, and he speaks of not doing the things that he knows what he should do. That he doesn't do what is right and good that he desires, but instead he does the thing that he shouldn't do. But in reality, Paul is showing his maturity here. You see, friends, the longer we walk with Christ, the more sin is brought to our eyes. Oftentimes there are big things that we know we're wrong and we're convicted of, and then Christ gives us victory over those things. But our life should be a trajectory of dealing with smaller and smaller sins, of becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of sanctification in our lives. And when we see this weakness and we confess it and we understand who we are, that is sinners saved by grace, overcoming in the larger picture, but sometimes slipping and falling and lamenting our sin. We are constantly at war with ourselves, with our flesh. Kids, listen up. You need to be constantly at war with yourself. You've gotta be at war with the flesh. You gotta be at war with this person on the outside, on the inside, more and more like Christ, but oftentimes warring against our flesh, our bodies. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. The more one looks to the law, the more sin is revealed. For one seeking to live by the law, sin without justification is revealed. And this is the point that the Apostle Paul is making. If you just have the law, then you have God's perfect standard. And the more you look at it, the more you're going to see that you're a sinner and that you have no hope whatsoever, ever to meet God's perfect standard. But the more the justified person, the Christian, looks into the law, the more reliant upon grace they must be. Now friends, when I first became a Christian, and maybe you had this experience if you became a Christian sometime later in your life, I was afraid to read the Bible, because I knew. I knew that as soon as I started reading it, it's going to tell me all kinds of things that I'm engaging in, things I'm thinking, the intents of my heart were all wrong. And I was afraid, literally afraid to turn the page. But I did. And guess what? I was right. It did tell me all the things that I was doing that were wrong. But it's God's good and right standard. And by the power of the Spirit, he enables you to overcome those things. And for the Christian, it's good and right, and the law is good for us. Going on to verse 21. So I find it to be that the law, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We often feel like we have a foreign enemy within us. Remember the classic formulation of the enemies of the Christian. The world, the devil, and the flesh. Oftentimes our own selves are our greatest enemy. We have to make war on ourselves. When those sinful thoughts and those desires come, we need to slay them. 
And when we commit those sins, we need to confess them and repent from them and turn from them. How often do we return to the things that we hate, the things that are wrong, the things that we do not want to do, and yet we do them? And you praise God for our Lord Jesus Christ because he's always there for us. Thank God we're coming to that door all the time, aren't we? Lord, it's me again. Same stupid thing, forgive me. And he will. And he'll strengthen you by the power of the Spirit. But we have to, in the Spirit, make war against ourselves. Lying and stealing and lusting and disobeying parents. The law tells us these things are wrong. But the law applied, as the Lord Jesus shows with various commandments of God, that it's not simply the doing of those things, but it's the intention of our heart that us also sin. Not simply actually lying to somebody, or stealing that thing, or lusting, or disobeying our parents, but it's the intention of our hearts. I didn't lie, I didn't take that thing, but boy, we contemplated how we would. Mom and dad said, do this thing, and I did it. I even did it willingly, but I was thinking all the time, I don't want to do this thing. I want to disobey you. Even those things are sins that need to be slayed, and the law shows us these things. Going on to verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now I want to say this in tying this up. Because you might think this is a really negative text here, but it does end on a positive note. We are indeed wretched if this is as good as it gets. A meaningless struggle with sin that reveals our helplessness. Now remember the threefold use of the law. First and foremost, The law shows us that we are sinners and drives us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second use of the law is it provides good laws for godly societies. But the third use of the law is for us as Christians, as the justified, to see God's standard, to conform our lives to God's standard. But if it were just left there, where it's shining the light of its holiness into our life, and we see ourselves as sinners, if that was as good as it gets, we would be undone. N.T. Wright again posits the law came to cause sin to be brought into its fullest revelation among the people of the law. The Jews applied the law, but it kept condemning them. So what did they do? They built higher, law, higher walls. They built up all kinds of traditions. Stay away from Gentiles. Wash your hands. If things get unclean, get rid of them immediately. Don't obey this law. Create all kinds of legalistic ways around your responsibilities. Stay away from sin rather than saying we're sinners and we need a savior. The fullness of the law was ignored, spoken against, persecuted, tried, and even murdered. But here's the good news. Jesus was the fullness of the law. Jesus is the fullness of the law, who pulled up the fullness of sin into one place to be seen by all, and to condemn it and slay its power once and for all at the cross. Can I hear an amen to that? Man, you guys must have had too much turkey on Friday, all that. 
or Thursday, all the whatever that is, I forget. The thing that causes you to sleep, the chemical in the turkey still lying in our blood system, huh? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died, who ascended to the right hand of the Father when he rose from the dead and sent his spirit into your hearts, sent his spirit among us. And you see, that's the difference between us and the old covenant saints We have the Lord Jesus Christ come in time and resurrected and ascended. And we have the Holy Spirit within us, the third person of the triune God, who will cause us to progress in sanctification in this life. And we rejoice in the law of God. Water. It's one of the most essential things we need to live by, and it's good. But water can kill you. If you drink too much water, your kidneys can't process it fast enough, which can result in death. The law is good and holy, but it can kill you if you apply it apart from the grace of God and the application of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The law is good for us, so get the Bible straight and see that the law is good to drive you to faith and is good to show you your sins and in faith to turn you to the only one who perfectly did the law, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only Savior, and in him and in his grace to obey God's law and commandments because you have been saved. This morning, Romans chapter 7 has shown us the law slays us all. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning to see your law as good and wise, but to rejoice in the law fulfiller, your Son, who came in time to die for us and to rise for us and to bless us with the power of the Spirit. We thank you for these things and help us to go forth in thanksgiving this week in all you've done on our behalf. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.